0: Okay, welcome. Welcome everyone. Well we are we're excited again for tonight because um when was that we went to the movie? Was that yesterday? We went to a movie yesterday. <laughs> and it was before I went and even I just had a, this kind of excited feeling inside my heart and um yeah, it was going to be something very, very profound. was telling people, I think uh, Jenny and Greg. I Jenny was talking to me. I said it's going to be really big, really big. I said, and Jeffrey was laughing. Uh, he's you're selling this movie, but we we did go to this uh, Marvel movie, and sure enough, it just we were on a ride and it was full of surprises, and then. It just got more and more and more and more spectacular, and um, then it was just absolutely an amazing experience. I, I had such a great time, and then then the credits came on, and most of the theater was staying there, not moving credits, but some of these Marvel movies, and Jeffrey knows that they, they'll come on with uh, something after the credits roll, sometimes once or twice even, usually twice, so we were all waiting there and then the the little piece came on and we watched that and then that was uh, amazing and spectacular and the two people at the end of our row down by the aisle, just the two Mexican men just burst into this laughter, just roared laughing and it was just, it just went on and on. So we were so inspired by that, that this movie came to mind. We didn't even know what movie we'd show tonight, but this movie just popped immediately into mind. And it's interesting because I remember the first time I saw this movie, I was down in Australia and I went to this old-fashioned, old-time movie theater down in Australia with three friends. And then as we're sitting there waiting for the movie to start, uh, the preview started and I started to feel this same kind of swirl in my heart like like Jesus was saying, hold on to your hat. Here, This is going to be a great movie. So it's a, it's from our classics collection. We've been showing these episodes, but we're gonna, this is an actual Hollywood movie, full-length movie, starring Nicolas Cage. Some of you know Nicolas Cage. He's been in a lot of, of our movies, Next, and just numbers of them. And so... Uh, I'm just happy that we can all share this experience together because there's a lot of teachings in the course of miracles that that don't really meet with the typical human experience like the script is written is a line that Jesus has in the workbook and for most people who are going through the experiences of being a human being on the timeline the script is written doesn't doesn't relate a lot you know it's like it sounds interesting and um Jesus talks a lot about the holy instant too, where just by desiring it, you bring it closer to you. But he's basically saying you don't really need time to find your innocence. You just need, you have to will it. Will ye now the kingdom of heaven. You have to will your correction. You have to will your escape. You have to will it by wanting it. And it's not really a matter of time. And that that does not relate to the human experience very much either because to the human being and the human experience, time seems so much of a given. And so uh, the mind is so accustomed to time that it's, it's almost like telling a fish what it's like to be out of the water. You know, and the fish is like, what? you know all it knows is the water all it seems to know is is its life and the swimming in the water it doesn't have, a, have an idea of what it would be like to be out of the water and so this movie is really good and then Jason and I were talking today too there's some beautiful aspects too about the fear of, of awakening the fear of redemption uh, this movie has great lot about freedom of a, a father son, Forgiveness uh, scenario, but you were talking about how you particularly like the how the children are used in this movie
1: Yeah, for me the movie was always Like the angels don't look like typical angels In fact, they're very stone-faced and I was saying that It's like at my house if I am just like this People are scared around me (laughs) But I'm just practicing, you know, not smiling when I'm not feeling it. And what did I do right? I was like, What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? I like nothing. <laughs> but anyways, this uh, these angels come in that don't look like angels, and they're calling these kids, and only the kids can hear. And it's kind of that line in the course to me: all are called, but few choose to listen. And and all of the adults in the world only perceive these angels as threatening as threatening beings so they're not ready to hear the inner voice by their own decision whereas the kids just kind of interact with them very lightly and go towards the meeting point as a sign which means they're ready to accept the end of the world so this whole movie's kind of a gentle calling into accepting that and going out and it's got true empathy because the kid, especially the father-son relationship, the kid has to accept his calling and the dad has to let the kid go and kind of accept that he's not ready and he's got a
0: different journey ahead of him. So it's the undoing of the family concept. It's coming to true empathy. It's overcoming fear of the light. It's... Uh, overcoming the fear of the mind, the power of the mind, and and the power of thoughts, because these angels really are not speaking angels. Not only do they have kind of straight faces, and don't they dress in, in black? Angels in black, straight faces, they don't speak, they just, it's just telepathy. But telepathy to most human beings is frightening, you know, it's like even those scenes from the Bible, you know, the woman at the well, um, when Jesus seems to be completely uh, reading her mind, reading her thoughts, she just, she doesn't stay there with him <laughs> very long. She goes running off, She's, she flees, when Jesus starts reading her mind and telling her things, and then she flees and basically says, there's there's some kind of prophet there, he's, he's, no, you know, he's, he's telling my life, and because it's a fear of of openness, it's a fear of transparency, it's, it's a fear of the fact that there are no private thoughts. So the mind that believes in private thoughts is afraid of transparency. That's even, I think, the workbook lesson today. It's a review lesson, but uh, the reading came today that I was joining with these workbook lessons was about the Holy Instant and, and basically the only thing you have to do to go into the Holy Instant is just be ready for complete and total communication with everything and everyone and it's only the thoughts that are kept hidden or kept private that are the threat It's the belief that you can keep something private from the light that is what is threatening The light isn't really threatening but to the mind that that believes in private thoughts and private minds, the light is absolutely terrifying. It doesn't fit in the standard uh, conditioning of the world. And so I really, there's so many aspects to this movie. I also just look the way that it just takes you in deeper and deeper and deeper with this sense of curiosity, but It's uh, Instead of being like a murder mystery, this is like an awakening mystery and it just unfolds and unfolds and it has so much transfer value for what we're practicing which is forgiving and accepting the holy instant. I think this movie has a lot of transfer value that way and it also can be a bit of a jolt to the ego but in a good way, because the ego thinks it knows something, and it thinks it's kind of you can say very attached to this world, to the world it made, and this is a movie that's very good for loosening from that attachment. So in that sense, it's just a blessing. Like the the movie we saw at the theater yesterday, I thought, "Wow, that is a is a supercharger for <laughs> loosening from." the outcomes of the world being important. And I think this movie's the same way. Guys,
1: I like these end of the world movies too, because there's an immediacy to salvation. Like all of the petty things don't mean anything. All the families come together. They want to talk and communicate, like I'm thinking of Nicholas Cage character and his dad. There's a grievance there, almost all the way to the end. But finally, when they realize they have nothing left to lose, then they're willing To go towards each other and it's so touching like we don't have to wait for that moment you know the things are so dramatic
0: (laughs) we haven't doctored this movie but uh we are putting in a song at the end our own we're adding our own soundtrack uh, to make it even more profound for you we had to put the perfect song at the end of the movie. So I think Andy's going to do that for us. He's going to, he'll do the doctoring today. His film has not been doctored. (laughs) But uh, yeah, sit back and enjoy because I think we're going to uh, have a great trip knowing. (laughs) from our hints and clues. <laughs> Laverne is about ready to jump out of her seat. Did you mention the name of the movie you saw last night or the other night? It was um, Infinity Wars. It was a Marvel Avengers. Infinity Wars.
1: The Avengers movies, you know, with Iron Man and all that,
0: Infinity War. Yeah, Yeah. it's showing at both theaters here in Ajijic, so, yeah. Packed house, great movie, and, yeah, it was just an amazing experience. And so this, showing this has come out of that amazing experience from that movie. Okay, here we go. We may pause it and have some... Nice commentary during the middle of it too. It's just so good. So this occurrence is physically shocking for him, but it's more than that because, as we've seen in this movie so far, he's he's a like a diehard scientist. He's teaching his class at MIT, there's this thing called Determinism and then he's talking about everything's random, random accidents and basically you can tell what he believes And he says I think shit just happens." So he is a scientist who, who pays attention to numbers and his whole life is numbers and now he's started to pay attention to these numbers it seems like there's something inside of him that's prompting him to look at the numbers, prompting him to, with his scientific curious mind, to figure out what is happening. And then, as he's there on the highway, stuck in traffic, you know, he's, he's on the phone just giving a message and then all of a sudden he looks at the GPS and sees these longitude and latitude numbers. And immediately he goes and has to pick up the paper again and look at the numbers again and go, they're loca-, he says they're locations, almost like the spirit mm-hmm. is just intuitively coming through him. And he's right there with his scientific mind, but there's some things, he's recognizing things one step at a time, like a scientist does. They're locations. And then he says, this location you know, still not registering, that's why he goes up and he asks, are there, are there any trouble, is there any any injuries or anything, no, 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 and then now this has happened, so it's not that it's just a, a challenging perception of it being a raw, like, disaster, crisis scene with exploding fuel and flames and people screaming and disorientation, he's just running around trying to be helpful, but it's more than that reaction to the perception of what's happening, there's something much deeper going on that is very agitating, very unnerving for him, because his entire belief system is getting rocked, and this is the contrast, this is the way the spirit has to work with us, when we believe one thing, we don't understand it, Everything that we believe, everything we believe about this world is false. And yet we're pretty set on certain things. You know, he doesn't want to speak to his father, the pastor. He doesn't want to spend time much with his sister. He's not interested in that. And you can tell he's a pastor's son. He's very extreme. You know, he's got quite a reaction to religion. Perhaps that's why he got into science in the first place to get away from all this hocus-pocus religious theology stuff and and the difficulties he's had with his father and just kind of pushing away the family and dealing with the grief of losing a wife, he's drinking, he's depressed, uh, he's trying to do the best thing he can to raise his son and and yet he's very, very sad, he's not been dating, he's not had relationships. You know, his science, his profession is an MIT professor, and his science is his grasp on the world. And so that's why this event right now is more than just reacting to what seems to be a, a, an accident. It's actually shaking everything that he believes, the root of it because he's already talked to his buddy, the, uh, the other MIT professor who was telling him I think you're crazy. I think you're really going crazy. You're just reading meaning into things and so on and so forth and, and it's already bothering him uh, what he's discovering and now he's had this is a, like a huge crack in the entire core of his belief system. In one sense, that's exactly how the Holy Spirit has to work with us, has to work with those cracks, because there has to be a way for us to start to dismantle from everything that we believe about the world. And I mean absolutely everything, whatever that belief system is in time and space, it doesn't matter what the particular configuration of beliefs are, there's going to have to be a crack. And that's going to be the crack that opens us up to have faith that there's something more. As the the two, as Bill Thetford uh, made his little speech to Helen Shuckman, you know, in Columbia Presbyterian Medical Center, there has to be a better way of living, he said to her, and thought she would just laugh in his face, and much to his surprise, Helen, who he had hired, who worked in the department, a friend of his said, you're right, Bill, and I'll help you find it. That was a shock bill he thought he knew helen he thought he knew how she'd react and then that little crack was the was beginning beginning of a course of miracles coming through as the better way uh, for these two very intellectual people in new york city at columbia presbyterian medical center who were who were scientists who were research psychologists uh, very much into the scientific method and then this thing comes in and of course, the story with the chorus is that when she started to receive this interdictation and, and Bill said, just take it down. If it's crazy, we'll just rip it up. We won't tell anybody because, you know, psychologists don't really talk about hearing interdictations. They usually will prescribe drugs and have people committed if they're hearing voices. And so, again, it came back to their own fear of what's happening, but that's that crack that Jesus used in the case with Helen and Bill. So, it we're just beginning here now, we've just gone with our baby toe to follow the scientist and now here we go, we're going on a ride and we'll see where it takes us here. <laughs> so, <laughs> Mr it's all accidents now, is confronting his belief that that there's a rhyme and reason to these patterns and he wants to be helpful. And this is where the defense mechanism, protectionism comes in. He's not fully accepting that things are just working as they're working and everything. He has a desire to save lives. He felt powerless when he witnessed the plane crash. He said, I, I was there and I couldn't do anything. And so this is that part rearing up, it wants to be helpful, it wants to save lives, it wants to prevent uh, loss of life and so on and so forth. And you can see that he boldly, anonymously called into the FBI to cordon off the area, evacuate the area, and now he's there and shocked that the that it's just flowing people all around the, the place where he knows something's going to happen, and he's desperately trying to be the hero, be the hero of the dream there and and save lives. So this can be the same thing that happens on the spiritual journey. The more that you start to... Just take it in, that everything's happening for a purpose, that everything's happening for a reason. When you're just beginning to open that, remember the ego will rear up because it's it's terrified of the idea that it's all determined, that, that the script is written. It's terrified of the idea that, that there's no control over the world. It's terrified of the idea that, that all this fuss, this human fuss that Shakespeare called ado about nothing, uh, to the ego, it's more than nothing. It's actually something and there's a lot of importance placed on that something that seems to be the world and then the ego will try to act and react in whatever ways it believes is most helpful to this perception and that's just, it's like almost like it's reflex action, it's interpreting that there's a danger, you can see on his face, you know, he's a, he's afraid. He's perceiving that there's a, a very strong danger there, and he's like going right to the core of what seems to be the danger of what's happening. And and this is what happens. You know, he's he's grieving the loss of his wife. He's, he's quite sad. He's in touch with the sadness, but he doesn't understand the depth of it. Human beings don't understand why... Sometimes they're so sad, they're so lost, they're so much wandering, and they don't have a purpose in life, and so on and so forth. Yeah, it's the unconscious mind down there, but but it's unconscious; it's not an awareness. So on the surface, it seems pretty wild and crazy on the surface of perception, because what's going on? You know, it's like it's, and this is extremely disorienting for him because his whole belief system is rapidly getting dismantled and he's just trying to be truly helpful based on what he's perceiving and, and he's he's just taking it in and that's all everybody is ever doing. Everybody is just doing the best that they can based on what they believe. There's an, an unconscious belief system underneath and what seems to be the human being is just an acting out of those beliefs and until those unconscious beliefs are cleared there's going to be fear because that's what the unconscious beliefs are about. It just comes up to the surface every once in a while. But everything that seems to be happening like people choosing to do things, having free will, having choice in the world is all part of a projection covering over a very darkened mind with a lot of guilt and then underneath that darkened mind is this blazing light which is God, which is love. And there's no awareness of that, of this whole system of projection of guilt. It's just all seem to be actual things happening and happening to a human being. And that's why it's so frightening when, when you're perceiving it through the human lens. It's most terrifying that there's no control there. It's most terrifying. Jesus said, it's, you're not really uh, afraid because of a hostile world, you're not afraid because of a chaotic world, you're not afraid of a vicious world, you're, you're afraid because you're afraid of a meaningless world. A meaningless world engenders fear. If this projected world doesn't have meaning, then there's fear arising in the mind. Like, what, what do you mean? What's it all about? If the world doesn't mean anything, then the mind gets extremely frightened because the ego made up this world, and when you start to see that the world doesn't mean anything, it starts to point to the direction that the ego doesn't mean anything. And that's something that the ego can't take. (laughs) That it can take a lot of things, but that it has absolutely no meaning and no existence is not one of those things that it can take. That's when the freaky, that's when it starts freaking out. Meaninglessness freaks the ego out. The other stuff, it, you know, it's, it can handle. It made it up anyway, so it can handle that. You know, oh, it'll bear it, grin and bear it. But that part, so he's just getting to the point now where he's just doing the best that he can based on what he believes. He wants to be helpful here. He's really trying to be helpful and everyone's trying to be helpful the best that they can. Every human being is 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 trying to do the best that they can based on what they believe. So nobody's doing anything to anybody. Everybody's just acting out the, the beliefs and doing the best that they can with their belief system. He sees the black rocks. Now the parent, the dad concept comes racing up. <laughs> The black rock, where have I seen a black rock before? And here he is looking at all these prophecies and the Holy Bible, which he has done his best to go in the opposite direction of and now a black rock. You know what's coming up in his mind when he sees the black rock. We'll see what he does with black rock here. <laughs> it's all interpretation. The Whisper people are saying, come with us. They've just come across the bottom of the bed where EE is, not 3-3, it's everyone else. All these numbers and all these locations throughout history and now it's come down to EE, everyone else. So they're just taking that in and now it's still got the the father concept is pretty strong in the mind. So the protectionism around that The mother concept and the father concept is very, very strong, so he's just seen someone and he's been told they were here, so let's see what what he does here. This is why people have so much difficulty listening to the Holy Spirit. This is why it's rare to hear the Holy Spirit's voice or the voice of Jesus, because the ego mind, remember the mind that made this whole world, made the personality self, made everything up, is terrified of God. The ego itself, the belief in a death wish, is a denial of love. So the ego doesn't know God, can't know God, and actually what it did was it made up a world very much unlike God, a cosmos unlike God, and it made up its own God. You know that punishing one some of us learned about when we were growing up, you know, God's going to get you, heaven or hell, you better be good or else you're going to burn in eternal. You know, the ego made up its own God, even, and, and it's been trying to scare us with its God. It's really afraid of the voice for God because the voice for God, if you follow it, it leads past the ego, of course, it leads past this world, it leads past everything the ego made. It leads back to the kingdom of heaven within. That's what the voice for God would do. If you were in a lost country or you were had lost who you are temporarily, pushed it out of awareness and forgotten it, and then you needed a, a guide to, to take you back, and you made up ego made up words. So it would use those words to guide you step by step, to let go of the ego. That's what the Holy Spirit does, but this is why there's such a terror of the Holy Spirit. This is why you, you try to just pray and open your heart and follow your intuition, your guidances, what feels helpful, what feels right. You really work on that intuition, you really work to develop tuning into that spirit because that, that's the voice that takes you back to the remembrance of who you are and God, and yet the, the, the resistance to that is enormous. You could see her face, the mother's face, when she was saying, you know, we'll hide from the whisper, whisper people and they won't be able to find us, and her daughter's just saying, they know where we are. What do you mean? You know, we, they told us, you know, they talking to us, they're whispering to our heads. The children are (laughs) the the crystal children, they're tuned in to this presence, to this guidance, and the whisper people are are the angels and they're basically giving instructions saying, come with us. Yeah, that's what the Holy Spirit says actually, come with me, follow me, I know the way out from this distorted world that, that the ego has made. And some of you remember that if you go through the workbook lessons, which are really all 365 lessons are just designed to help you make contact with the Holy Spirit. That's they only have one purpose, the higher power with the Holy Spirit. If you get to the very end, you might remember the last five lessons, speaking of numbers, you know, 361, 62, 63, 64, 65, this holy instant, would I give to you, be you in charge, for I would but follow. It basically is, is asking you, after 365 lessons, the final five lessons are saying, now give it over to the Holy Spirit, you know, let the Holy Spirit direct you. You've been doing these mind training lessons, but the whole point was just to put you in touch with your own internal teacher with the comforter, with the guide, with the one who knows the way, and the Holy Spirit is is just leading, leading, leading and asking you just follow these lessons, do them the best as you can and and open to hear my voice because I will guide you. Actually in A Course in Miracles it says this course is a beginning and not an end. Henceforth, Listen to the Holy Spirit, who will guide all subsequent lessons." Ah, there it is again. He's not asking you to be some Course in Miracles scholar, do the workbook 15 times, read the book over and over, become some kind of a, a author and teacher and write books and have followers and everything. No, 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 it's not about any of that. It's all about one thing, and that's just hearing the voice for God within yourself give you the instructions You can just take moment by moment, but the terror of the ego is enormous to that. Because the ego doesn't know the Holy Spirit. The death wish doesn't know the voice for life. The death wish doesn't know the life wish. The life wish is there to take you to eternal life and the death wish knows that there's something above it and it's frightened of that something. It feels like that something that's above it is going to be its destruction. Again, it's, you see how ego interprets everything. The ego doesn't even exist, so how can something that doesn't exist be destroyed? But it's pretty sure it exists. <laughs> it, it, in fact, everything it's done in terms of the projection and all the defense mechanisms and everything is just to protect this false sense of existence, but it doesn't exist. Because God didn't create it. So you can see the ego's terror. And in this movie, both parents, you know, are like pretty freaked out about these these characters in black because they're the unknown. They're something, they just see them as these crazy strangers that show up and and black rocks and they <laughs> they, are, they don't know what it means and and the unknown is is that's a symbol too the ego is terrified of of god because god is the unknown everything the ego made up in this world is the familiar it thinks it knows everything about everything in this world and that's lesson number 2 i have given everything i see all the meaning it has for me that's the ego he's speaking the ego has given all the meaning to everything of this world. There is no meaning in anything the ego made up. It's all illusion, but to the ego, it's real, and it's just a reflection or a reinforcement that it's real. So if the world is real, then the ego is real. That's the way it thinks. But everything that the ego made is part of a denial of divine love, of light. Everything is the. To deny divine abstraction, the light of God, the light of love, the light of oneness. So here in, in the movie, her mother had prophesied the very day that that she would die. And, and she was very uncomfortable with that. And yet there was something inside of her that she said, I think I, I always knew that she, she was right. And it's just this coming to grips with letting go of the perceived world that's all any of us are doing all we are every second of every day whether we know it or not whether we're aware of it or not we're coming to grips with letting go of the ego with letting go of everything that the ego made that would blind us from the truth the truth cannot be described or explained Jesus has only experienced And some of you remember, um, I talked about this recently, a line from the course, nothing so blinding as perception of form. The sight of form means that understanding has been obscured. The goal of the curriculum, no matter what the teacher you choose, is know thyself. There is nothing else. Isn't that what the Greeks taught? Isn't that what Jesus said, you have to know who you are? Isn't that what all the sages and saints have taught? All the avatars, everyone, all the wise teachers have just said, remember who you are, know who you are. Who you are is the answer to everything. Your identity is is the answer. Nothing in form, nothing, no word, no form, no image. The I Amness before Abraham was, Jesus said, I am. Before time was, before the world was, before men and women were, before the begat, begat, you know, the Bibles, <laughs> begat, 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 all the, the lineages. Before the lineages, before everything of time and space, I am. That's what he's offering us, that's what he's leading us to. Through the Holy Spirit, just day by day following our guidance, following our joy, following our happiness, following everything that we feel that is coming from the core of our being, knowing that if we continue to follow we will be able to say the same thing that Jesus said in truth, I and the Father are one which is another way of saying I am not separate from my creator. I'm still as God created me. That's the ultimate realization. So it's to me, these I love these movies. I mean, this is getting down to the depth of things. This is helping us zoom down into the unconscious mind and get in touch with what's there. Any reactions that you have as you're watching this movie, well, that's exposing the ego royally. <laughs> it's just bringing it up. Because those are the attachments that have to be flushed up into awareness. Those are the the beliefs, the thoughts, the concepts that we have to raise to the light. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit's instructions are about, is to guide you to, to raise the ego up and look with the Holy Spirit upon the ego and see that it is nothing, that you were always frightened by nothing, that there was really nothing ever to be frightened of. Even fear is just a call for love. Even fear can be interpreted ultimately with the Holy Spirit as a call just simply to remember who you are. That's all it was about. It wasn't about anything bad. It, it, it can be reinterpreted and reperceived as a call simply to remember who you are. That's all fear is, is a call to remember who you are. So, it's good to keep that in mind as we watch the end of this movie, because that's all it is. This You have a choice. You can see this as a horror show or a comedy. Uh, but that, but that's your choice. You have that choice in your mind. And the, the Holy Spirit is the voice that's saying, like with uh, Bill Thetford, remember to laugh. That don't... Don't ever forget to laugh at the world, at at the things of the world, because the world can't cause you to be something other than who you are.
2: God's will
0: is for you to be happy, and God's will is to know thyself, exactly as thyself was created, and nothing can prevail against the will of God. Isn't that lovely? Nothing can prevail against the will of God. And the Bible said, God said, let there be light. When God says, let there be light, listen, there is nothing that can prevail against that. Nothing. Thank God. Hallelujah. There is no opposite to God's will. Okay, are you ready? (laughs) Ready for a ride? Here we go. This is great. He's come from totally everything's an accident and everything is just shit happening to. We've got to know where the the numbers are taking us or leading us. That's a conversion experience. He's gone from. Um, there is no God, there is no guidance, there is no prayer, there is no nothing to, we've got to go where the numbers are taking us. So, his, his whole scientific self-concept, I think, is just gone at this point. It's got to be the fastest dismantling of a scientist, like a Newtonian scientist. I mean, if it was quantum, it would have been much quicker. but but newtonian scientist that's got to be the fastest dismantling of a newtonian scientist i've ever seen and yet he was he followed his curiosity you see he he was uh, science is all about the numbers science is all about the proof remember him telling talking to his son about heaven and he said just we can't know for sure you can believe it you can believe in heaven if you want but we can't know for sure and and what what could you know for sure? The numbers tell the truth. Everything in science is told by the numbers. The numbers always tell the truth. And now the spirit is using those numbers and he's instead of trying to go into a cave, he's just given the scientific evidence. No, these solar flares are gonna penetrate a mile into the earth. Those caves are, it's just, you'd be toast. You're going to be toast. The body's going to be toast in this game. We have to follow the numbers. So at least he's now opening to some type of of guidance. Like there's some purpose now. Remember he told his class, you know, there is no purpose. And he, he was so sad. He just They all said, are you okay? He looked so sad when he said there is no purpose. Now it's like follow the numbers. He's actually into following something, believing there's some kind of purpose that he doesn't understand, but at least he will follow. That's huge. That's no different than any of us. If we just get to the point where we have the faith that there's a purpose, and we're willing to try and do everything we can to tune in, to trust that things are working together for good, and that nothing is happening by by random accident, that as I said recently, you cannot but be at the right place at the right time, or it, As Susanna would say, (laughs) you're always at the right place at the right time. It was a huge insight after I spoke that that one time here. And this is what he's opening to. He's opening to some kind of purpose that there's something important happening that he needs to follow. That's just what he was saying. He's just beginning to. He was actually screaming it. I think the more you get into the faith in that, you don't have to scream at your sister. No, we have to go. We have to follow the numbers. It should be, I think we should follow the numbers. You know, it's softer, but he's still, he's got a bit of fear still mixed in there. But, but it's amazing. He is feeling that he needs to follow. There is a, there is a divine plan. There is something there and he's going to go for it. This is a mother's nightmare. This is the mother's worst. To see your kids looking out of the back of the SUV and have a stone in your hand and be going, all she's got to be thinking is kidnap. See but everything's an interpretation. This is an angel saying come with us and basically they're just it's time to, to take the kids. It's divine guidance but to the mom's lens this does not look good. The ego is part of that, you know. The ego is made up the mom, it made up the self-concept. And this is the nightmare. This is a mother's nightmare. You know, to be having a stone in your hand and be just start to think, stone and then turn and see the car the tire squeal and off they go. So this is where the ego again, like I said, freaks out because of that fear of loss, that fear of separation. It's all in the mind. It's just the ego's fear of separation, it's the ego's fear of redemption. Jesus tells us in the Course, you think you're afraid of all these things on earth, like the body falling down, breaking apart, dying, growing old, all these things. No, 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 no. He said You're really afraid of redemption. And isn't it great just to begin to to get a glimpse of that, that, that I'm not really afraid of anything happening in the world, I'm just afraid of who I am. I'm afraid of remembering who I am and who God is. I'm afraid of remembering the light. You know, you saw he, he had the gun, he was ready to shoot the angel. <laughs> he had that gun out there to protect his child and then the angel slowly turned around very calmly and opened his mouth and that was the angel's response. It was just light. There was no defense there. It was just Light, but the ego is terrified of that light behind the form. So 12 midnight Mother said she would die on the 19th. This is the stroke of the 19th. Again, mom was right. Lucinda has not been wrong once in these forecasting prophecies and predictions. there's all these signs and symbols, and that's, he's just again, as he told uh, her, he said she's never been wrong. In terms of what the world can perceive as accuracy of, of prophecy and prediction in this case, then she's been exactly right with everything. In the Bible it said it about the chosen ones, but Jesus reinterprets that to all are called, few choose to listen. So, it's the ones that have been listening, that are ready to go to the next level. <laughs> and so, this is again why it's so important to listen. If you're listening, it doesn't so much matter what happens to planet earth or planet whatever, XYZ, Garantia, whatever, it's, it's the listening that is what it's all for anyway. It's just the listening, it's the tuning in, it's aligning with source, aligning with spirit. And you could see when the seeming craft was coming down, it, how big his eyes were. I don't think he probably believed in aliens either. You know, it was just like a lot of things were being shattered, just all kinds of beliefs. You know, he well maybe there's life on other planet. Maybe there's this this. It's just all perception. There's really no life on any planet either. As uh, as uh, Ken Wapnick reminded everybody years ago, there's no life on this planet, he said. And that's the truth of it in the sense that life is eternal life and we're all just learning to tune in and listen to the Holy Spirit to return to that eternal life. Nothing else, some, whatever is temporary, whatever will pass away, you know, that's, I believe that's in Corinthians, that which is temporary will pass away that which is eternal will last forever you know that's in the Bible there's your non-dual teachings in the Bible just find it in Corinthians the temporary doesn't have life it never has had life it's not eternal it's just passing images and yet that's one thing the ego has done is made up the images then it's associated life with the images well once you do that then you can have loss then you can have abandonment then you can have separation. If, as soon as you believe the images are life, then that's where the switch, the substitution has taken place in the mind and eternity has been pushed out of awareness and the images have taken on life. Really, it can't. Images can't live. They're just grave in images. That's one of the commandments, isn't it? Um, Thou shalt not have grow, gra- no graven images before the Lord thy God, you know, there it is again. One more score for the Bible. <laughs> uh, have no graven images before the Lord thy God, there it is. That's that's what this is all showing us. That there, there was wisdom in the Bible and then I know some people have had trouble finding it, but it's <laughs> it's it's in the heart. But it's been reflected even in the Bible, among other many other places. So you can see, you know, when the child turned to him and said, "You know, I don't understand what are they saying." His face just was like he's like out of his depth there, like he hasn't been hearing the whisper people, and so he can't even begin. It was just uh, an honest look on his face, like, I have no idea. I cannot tell you. I don't understand. So I I can't tell you, but he has followed the signs and symbols and numbers to come to this point. And he has had the faith and trust to do that. And so everything, as as I've said many times, salvation is nothing more than escape from concepts. So now, said the family concept would go now the dad concept is is up for some healing and it's coming in a big way because you know the, the thing he does you and I the little thing they do forever now he's got to come into what is that forever. And that is the Buddha said, like in Jesus, empty your mind of everything you think you think and think you know and that's what he's going through here. Helpful at this point to just be reminded that everything in form, every image shares the same purpose. So the images he just saw with his son and Abby being taken up, and the scenes he's seeing in the city here as he's driving through with the with his symphony music playing, they all share all images, all appearances. We're told in the workbook of A Course in Miracles share the same purpose and that's forgiveness. The Holy Spirit's purpose of forgiveness What is that? To see the false as false. All images share that purpose. The only purpose of all appearances is to be seen as false and there's only one In the mind that is capable of seeing the false as false. It's not a human being, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the bridge back, is the only one that can tell the difference between the false and the true. And that's, this scene is so beautiful with this symphony music playing as he's driving along and watching all the images, the flames, the heat, the bodies, the everything that's going on, that his script with uh, Caleb is over now, so to speak, and now he's working on a forgiveness scene to start to see everything else is over. Uh, That's lesson number seven from the Course. I see only the past. That's what the Holy Spirit is leading us to, to see that what we're watching, we're still, We're just watching something that's long ago gone and long ago been healed. Just imagining that it's still happening. We're imagining that there's still a journey going on, the journey of linear time. But as he tells us in the Course, this world was over long ago. But it's going to take a shift in the mind to see lesson number seven. I see only the past. Lesson number eight, my mind is preoccupied past thoughts uh-huh he's telling us why we're perceiving the past because the mind is still caught up in attack thoughts and judgments it's still holding on to past thoughts and is perceiving the world because it's still trying to hold on to attack and judgment that's why it's even seeing a world perceiving a world is because of that distortion so here he comes and he's going up to remember he had that conversation with his his Biological father, his father, and he said, "I'm not going anywhere, son. You know he's telling you know go and go underground. I'm not going anywhere. And here's one he hasn't spoken to the father for many, many years. That's where the Holy Spirit has him going next. You see, he had, had to say, we'll be to, we're, we'll be all together. Even mom, he tells Caleb, we'll always be together." Because that's the truth speaking through him, and now, in order to make that an experience, his next step in the seeming script is to go visit his mom, his dad, his sister. Because there's been a rift, there. There's been no communication, and see how beautiful it is. It's like it's like the elevator scene in *Revolver*. You have this beautiful awareness that we'll always be together and now the Spirit's like, let's put that into action here and let's strengthen that awareness that we are all together that there really has been no gap there, no separation. Yeah, Yeah, that's kind of... Same feeling I had at the movie yesterday. And the two two gentlemen on the road just burst into laughter. (laughs) All the superheroes were just dissolving and disappearing, like leaves in the wind, just like blowing ashes, and then they just were bursting into laughter. I thought, there you go. That's a good Mexican response. to dissolving away of images. The world will end in laughter because it was a place of sorrow. Yeah. Mm. We have our microphone, yep, 10. Ten has the mic.
2: Um, <clears throat> Again, your comments and your words are just so profoundly meaningful for me, and it opens things up on many, many different levels, which I never really understand. But I'll just zero in with one question. As we watch someone we love suffering, for a long period of time. Um, It's hurtful, painful emotions, feelings. And yet are we just supposed to, I don't know. Um, Thy will be done, is that it, or? Acknowledging our feelings and emotions of sorrow.
0: Yeah, that's it. I mean,
2: perception
0: is a mirror and not a fact. And when we realize that that's what perception... That's the the temporary purpose perception serves, is, is it mirrors to us what is believed. And... You would say, from that perspective, you have to believe in suffering to perceive it. So, perceiving a loved one suffering for a prolonged period, you know, is is there's this darkness, this sadness, this hurt, this grief. You know, it can come in different waves and forms, like uh, like a sense of. Um, crying out inside like, I want an end to this. And that is the, the prayer of our heart, we, we want an end to suffering, we want an end to the pain that we have felt in our heart and emotions and, and what we've perceived. And uh, I remember when I was um, I was reading through the workbook of A Course of Miracles and Jesus just comes out very, very matter-of-factly and says, pain is a wrong perception. So it's, it's very straight, it's very matter of fact coming from the Christ. It's just a wrong perception. Suffering is, you could say, is a wrong perception. And, and then the more we follow his teachings, he's like saying everything you perceive starts out within your mind. You, you couldn't perceive anything if you first didn't desire it, believe it, Think it, feel it, you know that that all precedes the perception of a of a suffering, a long suffering loved one. There's what's going on in the in consciousness, what's going on in the mind. So, there were some lines from the Bible that two thousand years ago, uh, where he said, "Before you get the speck." Out of your brother's eye, remove the beam or the log from your own that's an interesting teaching from the Bible before you remove the the speck from a or the speck or the splinter from another a brother's eye from another's eye remove the beam or the log from your own he's telling us that the block is really a block in mind in consciousness that's what needs to be So, the very concept of suffering, the very concept of pain, you know, it's an egoic concept and that before we try to remove the ego or the suffering or the pain from a loved one, he would say to us, you know, remove that pain, that suffering, that hurt that is within yourself. So it's the same kind of dynamics, the same answer. He always is saying, look within. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a mini movie that, I don't know if you've seen it, but I've showed it a number of times, but it's like this one, very, very powerful. Jason put it together, it's called Time's End. And there's a prophet, prophetess in that. And she's basically saying, throughout the movie, the beginning and at the end, through this captain, uh, she's saying, look for solutions from within. You know, it's what all the mystics and saints have said, that the solutions to all the problems are found within. But we do have to remove the obstacles, these beliefs, these concepts that have been placed there or held there to block us, to blind us from the truth, to keep us in darkness, to keep us not knowing who we are. Those things have to be found. And so it's quite powerful when Jesus starts off his course by saying, This course does not aim at teaching the meaning of love, for that is far beyond what can be taught. This Course aims at removing the obstacles to the awareness of Love's Presence. And there it is again, it's the same theme through the whole Course. You can't bring the Truth into the illusions, you have to bring the illusions to the Truth. And you can't bring hidden and unconscious darkness to the light. In fact, that very idea of hiding and protecting is like saying no. I want to keep it. I want to hide it. I want to protect the darkness from the light when we become transparent When our heart cracks wide open, you know, even with the children here, they were You know a bit confused. I mean when the prophecy came early on Caleb screamed You know this is he just had a reaction of screaming, but That was just a little prophecy of what was to come and many times we have reactions, but we still have to keep going inside and taking a, a close look and, and offering those up. The things that we feel so unworthy about and so dark about that we feel like if anybody ever knew the dark thoughts that I've had, they would never want to be a friend with me. And those dark thoughts, those attack thoughts were to offer to the Holy Spirit as gifts. And say take this from me you know I will no longer hide this I will no longer protect this and then when things are freely willingly offered up they are are gone they disappear it's the hiding and the protecting that that keeps the guilt in place and keeps the, the fear in place so um, I remember when I was going through these transformations um, and I would have these mystical experiences that would just be like being lifted above all sense of pain and suffering and darkness and then it would still be like now keep this, nurture this keep this in your heart and, and I will be with you, I will be with you stay with me stay with me, then I would suddenly get invited to go to a funeral and I'd be like How, how do you go shine the light at a funeral because there's so much grief and Jesus was saying remember it's all perception and i am with you You know i'll be with you in an appropriate way you're not you know you're not going to go there and be inappropriate but go there and I will. If there are words, I will give you the words. Just be with me. Stay with me. Stay with my presence. And um, I do remember going to my grandmother's uh, funeral and I just was, mostly I was just there in the audience, my eyes closed, just staying with Christ, staying in that presence, feeling all that love and gratitude and feeling joined and connected with everyone in the room and with Lillian and with Jesus and with everyone so much and just staying with that, staying with that, mostly just there in prayer, eyes closed. And then they had a minister there who uh, was brought there by the family to um, give the eulogy and you know perform the the funeral service and and everything. And listen, listen, listen. And then I I heard David, would you come up? And speak. So my eyes came open and I went right up there. And then I had been told Lillian before the funeral service, she said, I want, we always loved each other. So she was speaking to me telepathically. She said, I want to speak at my own funeral service. You know, some people do like a video or DVD or record something. That's Lillian, got to be live. So I was like, Okay, so I went up there, and then Lillian came through with all of her love and joy and everything, and just to look on the people's faces, you know, it was one of recognition. And then after I spoke to the the woman who had given the eulogy, she said, "Oh my God, I wish I had a notebook to take down on notes on what just came through." and, and lots of hugs and people coming up and saying oh my god i feel her she's here with us and you know it was it was a lifting of the grief again under Christ's control with the spirit there the spirit of love is there to extend love and transform consciousness and always to be the bringer of light and and to for me it was just such a lesson in surrender of just stay with the Spirit, stay, trust, trust, and to ultimately to remember, you know, I am the light of the world and, and that as the light of the world my, my mind brings peace to every mind as the light of the world. That, that that's our function is to be connected with that light, to to align with that light and to be that light in any seeming situation or circumstance whatever it is, that, that, that uh, I will step back and let him lead the way. It's not like there's a, a human component to try to figure out. In fact, that's the prayer at the beginning of the, the text. I do not have to worry about what to say or what to do, for he who sent me will direct me I am content to be wherever he wishes, even a funeral. For he he goes there with me and I will be healed That let him teach me to heal. So that's what the lesson always is. It's always true empathy. It's join with the Spirit, join with the light. Don't try to pick the words, don't try to figure out what to say or do. And ultimately, you know, if you're with a loved one and they seem to be suffering, then that's the time to go into prayer and say, Show me this differently. You know, I, I must have decided wrongly, but I need you to show me this differently. I need your help. This happens on a daily basis. Earlier in the week, a friend of mine from Belgium wrote to me and she's just like told me all about these healings she's going through and her heart chakras opening up and going through all this purging and healing. It was just a beautiful email. And then it's like, but I can't sleep. I've have not slept for 30 days. And my body seems to be becoming weaker and weaker. And I'm afraid that they'll, there's going to be damage done to my body. And please join with me. Join with me. I had a, a text message yesterday from a friend up in Oregon. Join with me. Join with me. I had uh, another friend who's from Spain who's started to feel like he's losing his way with the Course, like all the things he's believed in and had faith in, he's starting to wonder if he truly believes them. But he just again, join with me. So we're going to have a Skype call uh, Monday morning because he's got a, got a friend from Canada that's visiting this weekend. But, but those prayers of join with me, join with me in the light, join with me in the truth, let our soul be uplifted let us remember the truth you know that's always the prayer of the heart and that would be the the prayer of the heart with that you know is that please let me see this differently and i can certainly relate to that because i do remember i talked about my grandfather and my grandmother, but my grandfather, Heinrich Hermann Hoffmeister that I mentioned, HHH, he was diagnosed with cancer. And so I remember he was taken to the hospital in Cincinnati and I would go and visit him and seems like as I would visit him over over the weeks and weeks and weeks as I went to visit him, he went from being very like jolly and he was always pleasantly plump, but as I would visit him in the hospital week after week, I would see him go down, down, down to getting more and more closer to being a skeleton uh, with whatever the ther- chemotherapies or whatever was going on. And so his face, his cheekbones started to come out and his his body, I'd never seen the body like that, and that was so much part of the healing process for me. I never experienced anybody, a loved one like that or go visit them time and time again. And it just went on week after week after week. And then I do remember when he was quite, you know, the flesh was just barely seemingly hanging on the bone, I remember going there and my heart was, was starting to really feel my, the heart go down like I was feeling the pain of of what you just said, and I can't bear, can't bear to watch this. And I remember he kind of um, whispered to me in my ear, uh, and he said, "Dave, get me out of here." And that just brought up huge feelings of helplessness and powerlessness, I think I was in my early 20s, you know, at university, and and maybe I had not faced death or faced sickness ever before like that, and I remember those huge waves of helplessness when he whispered that to me, because he, he whispered in my ear, and he just was looking me in my eyes, like, like pleading, and I just was, I just thought, oh my God, I I, I I need help, if I want to help him, I need, I need help. I'm not, I, Like uh, Nicholas Cage, you know, when he had that look on his face, when his son Caleb said, you know, I don't understand, Dad, you know, and he just had this look like he didn't have the answer. That's how I felt with my grandfather, I just felt like I don't have the answer. So then I really had to face all kinds of things in my mind, all kinds of deep, dark thoughts and beliefs and helplessness and worthlessness and all kinds of things that were way down there. The lid got pulled off from that scene, you know, I just had, it was really dark for me, very dark, very sad. And then I do remember it carried on to a point when uh, I went in to visit him one night with my father and we walked in his room and he was strapped down to the bed like an animal like an animal that's been strapped down apparently he probably had tried to harm himself or take his life and so they his precautionary had just basically strapped him put him in a straitjacket and there he was and um i remember walking in there and, and going up and my dad was on one side of the bed and and I was on the other, and and I looked down at his eyes, and he he had so much anger in his eyes that that he was dying, and they strapped him up, and so he was just there, he couldn't move, and he was dying, and I don't know what all he was experiencing, but I could, I just looked in his eyes, and uh, he hadn't spoken at that point; he'd quit speaking. And I could see it in his eyes and and yet I went there to join because I love him so dearly So I'm just there to to love him. That's all I can feel in my heart is love him love him And so I think we just started to eye gaze He was looking at me and I was looking at him and we were gazing 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 eye gazing and then um, Again, he hadn't spoken to anybody for some days and then, he used his eyes to motion. He, he used his eyes to look down at the, the straps and the knots and everything that was tying him down. And he looked down, he looked back at me. And he looked down at the knots, looked back at me. He looked down at the knots, looked back at me. So I, I'm just there to love him, so I'm just watching this and I look over at my dad who's on the other side and my dad is like frightened, like, oh my god, what what's he what's he want? You can't break the rules. And so I looked over at my dad, I said, I'm untying him. And my dad was like, I I, I don't know if if you can do that here. I, said, I don't care if I can do it or not. <laughs> so I went in there to he was just looking at me and we' go, he'd gone from angry to <laughs> we're doing some eye games there like like untiming so I'm like I'm pulling the straps and and I'm gonna I'm gonna untie him out of this uh, straight check. Oh Harry loves this parable <laughs> He can't he's got to play gotta blow the wind here he just loves it so much. So I untie a strap and I keep, and I keep untying the straps and my dad's a little bit like flustered because, you know. So I untie him and he can move. He can move his shoulders and his arms. You know, he's basically there just probably in pain and dying and he couldn't move and As I untied him and his arms became loose and everything, I could see his face go very soft and his eyes went very soft. And he started to get a smile, actually, on his face after I untied him. And his eyes started to come back like I'd always known him, like a little twinkle. And he always had a twinkle in his eye. And he looked up at me and He put both arms straight up in the air to stretch and his face had a look of relief, like that he could move. He wasn't trapped and both arms went up for a while and they were up there for so a little while then he put them down. And then back up they'd go again. He was so happy that he could move, he would stretch his arms up. And then, it probably the next thing he wanted to move was his back. So, he spoke, he had not spoken, he had a spark in his eye, he looked at me and he said, he said, pull me up boys, throw me around the room. His humor had even come back. And then when I pulled, we, my dad grabbed one arm and we pulled his back up. His, his back had been strapped down for who knows how many hours or days. And we pulled it up and you can see again this look of relief at being able to just move his back. Just it felt so much relief. And so we did that and he said, okay, boys, lay me back down. It was all just this beautiful interaction, very soft very relieved eyes. And then, this went on for a little while, and then at some point over the loudspeakers, they said, it's eight o'clock, all family members and non-medical personnel must leave the hospital. That was the, the end of visiting hours. Right after my miraculous, like Nicolas Cage had his miraculous little joining there then over the loudspeakers and then the nurses came in and they started tying him back up and and i remember walking out of the room and just turning back turning back to look at him one last time to see my grandfather and they were strapping him down and tying him up and i had this feeling like that's the last time i'll see him and he went back, he had this look of indignation, almost like, uh, in his eyes, a sense of um, resentment. He was just indignant, like his dignity, he was being tied up. And that though was important, because that hit my heart too. Then I had to go home and face my perception of of his look on his face, the last look I would see him. I would have to go in to forgive and face that look as well. And and I do remember going back home that night, and I just, I had so much hurt that I experienced, because I knew intuitively that was the last time I would see him. But I do remember, that was when I had my showdown with God, where I said to God, God, if you had anything to do with what I just witnessed as I left that hospital room. I said to God I will not spend eternity with you, I will not spend time with you, I won't even have lunch with you. I told God. It was really ticked off and then the Spirit God said no, no my beloved one, I had nothing to do with what you just Perceived. There's early course in miracles. <laughs> nothing I see means anything. God did not create a meaningless world. That's lesson number 14. I got a version of lesson number 14 long before I knew about the course. The Spirit was speaking to me, saying, No, I had nothing to do with what you just perceived. So it's not the problem, it's not that God has left or or God is absent, or God is unmerciful, or God, you know, allows pain and suffering. No, 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 that's all faulty perception. Pain is always a wrong perception. It's always a wrong-minded perception. It's always an ego-based perception. Without exception, it's always a wrong-minded perception. And I was actually believed to... Hear that that started my journey to God that that led the fire right there. I was from that point on I think you could say I was on my way when I had to face that perception and I had to own it that this was my faulty perception this was nothing to do with love, nothing to do with God absolutely nothing to do with God. Of course, that, that also means you have to question everything you've, you've maybe known or believed. Years of reading the Bible and Bible study and being told God created the heavens and the earth and you know, there's a lot <laughs> going back to Genesis and on through there, you know. I would ask that, I think probably I asked that probably in Bible school. Why does, why does God allow suffering? You know, it's probably one of the questions a lot of people ask. And no, my my Bible teachers didn't didn't really reflect back the answer. Well, God has His reasons. Oh, uh, yeah, it doesn't satisfy me very well. God has His reasons. God of love has His reasons. You know, it, it, at some point we have to start to get to that point where we've. Start to face things and we start to realize oh my gosh, I, I've been wandering in the darkness and I need help and that's why we pray, that's why we call upon the higher power, that's why we ask God to heal, heal with my perception. Show me another way to look at this. There's one workbook lesson, I could see peace instead of this. Yeah,
3: <laughs> that's true. Coming to mind,
0: you had some—you had pretty powerful father-son healing too, like they have there with Vern. That's pretty strong. With this kind of healing circumstances and situations that really pop us through a whole new way. The only one that's coming to my mind is. When I was doing the
1: bus tour, and the way the bus tour went, I got to go through his last to where he lived, and about 20 minutes before I uh, got to his t- Got to his town, I heard this is the last time you'll see him. So I got off the bus, and just, like I thought I was the strong one, and I was going to bring light to him. <laughs> but when I got off, he- I just ran up to him and gave, gave him this hug, and it was so intense, I just dropped to my knees and he had to hold me up. It was like, and it's a whole tour, it was just, like, what the heck is going on? And I mean, I didn't know for sure if it was true, but it turned out to be true. And I had to go through this visa thing, and I had to stay in the States when he had his funeral, but, yeah, I, I actually called him, because he went into a coma, and then, When he went into the coma, before he went in, my brother said he refused to talk to me because he was angry about this journey I went on and everything. So I said, well, give him the phone. I just joined with you. And so it was our mail at the time. We gave him a call and said, just give him the phone. So Andrew went in in his coma and put the phone to his ear. And I just talked and shared all my gratitude and everything. Thank you for everything. I was so happy and I was crying, but I didn't know if he heard anything. <laughs> and then the next morning I called my brother back. How did that, how did that go? And he said he woke up from his coma <laughs> and said he's been hugging everybody and saying goodbyes and everyone's been really happy. And then at the end of his, his goodbyes to everybody, he looked up at the ceiling. My brother said, Shouted out. He said, "I don't understand," and my brother telepathically felt like he was saying, "I don't understand why I had this separation with Jason, like, and then he died." <laughs> But I was happy
0: with that. <laughs> it's so huge. It's, we never know what we're going to be called into or how it will go. But yeah, the love is so deep. <laughs> Jesus says you would weep if you remembered all those that you were with in heaven and and how much love there was in the forgotten song. Yeah, we do weep. You weep because it's, the love is so intense and, and then it's almost like whatever pride was there or whatever was the, the wall or the gap, you know, it's almost like we can't even fathom what that ever was. Because the love is so strong. It's always there. And I, I think that was great about this movie too. You know, there was this deep love we knew was there, but a lot of times, The father was trying to be protective and, and trying to, to be a good father and tell, tell the son what to do. And from the beginning, it was almost like the son said, like, with cooking the hot dogs, like, why didn't you tell me, you know, you're going to be a vegetarian? He's like, Dad, I just did. (laughs) You know, it's just the most straightforward, Common thing you could do, and you know that's the kind of thing where you you see it's way beyond the roles. You know, I remember I uh, my sister had a child, and the child was I don't think the child just as a toddler just had learned how to walk. and as she had said, go follow. And so I'm following around, pulling around into the bathroom, and 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 uh, I forget what it was maybe I forget maybe it was little Kevin or something. But I'm in there, and I'm just saying to this baby who's just toddling around, who has not even spoken the first word yet. I'm just saying, Where is Kevin? "Where's Kevin?" I think it was Kevin. Where's repeating over and over, where is Kevin, where is Kevin, this toddler and everything and then suddenly the baby turns to me and he goes, I'm in the bathroom. A whole sentence (laughs) has never said mama or daddy. (laughs) And I was just like, but it's you know it's one of those things like you know you're trying to like sometimes you talk to the cat or you know (laughs)
2: You know, where is
0: ISO? Where is ISO? Where is Kevin? I'm in the bathroom, almost like, and I was just like, so I came out, and my sister was like, "It just, yeah." I said, "Yeah, I was I followed him in the bathroom," and and then the strangest thing happened. She said, "What?" I said, "He spoke." She said, "What did he say?" He's never she, spoke. He said, he said, it. I'm in the bathroom. She's like, David. You know, just this look of disgust, like, how could you lie about the first, the first words or whatever. But then again, it was like, okay, it's all for me. <laughs> it's all for me. There's another one of those many lessons of this is all for you. But, you know, there have been a lot of those out-of-pattern <laughs> experiences, but those had helped loosen from this logical, I know, mind <laughs> when those things happen. <laughs> so, that's kind of the way the journey can go, where there's things that are unexplainable and they don't fit in with the ways, the world, the norms, the patterns of the world, but they're just so out of pattern that they, you know, they just shake your mind a bit, it's like a wake-up call. like Snap out of it. You're just talking to yourself. You know, quit, you know, it was almost like it was set back with that kind of sarcasm, I'm in the bathroom, kind of, you know, almost. Dummy, why do you keep asking that same question, you know? It was that kind of feel to it, you know, but it's the, that's the spiritual humor, you know, like, come on, you can, you're, you can do this, you know, you can, you're better than this, you know, you, but that's, that happens to us, you know, it just, it, sometimes it just comes and it, it hits us. And yeah, and I, and that was surprising, but that so was what happened with my grandfather. That was surprising. And there's been a lot of things that are surprising. (laughs) And uh, that's probably what I liked best about the the movie we saw yesterday. It was surprising, delightfully surprising. The good guys fight the bad guys, and in the end, the good guys win. But uh, the good guys normally win, I guess, in... Most of the ones I've seen, <laughs> <laughs> you seen the? Well, the this one, the at the very end, all the the all heroes, the all the heroes, all they're just like gone. And then this, and the one evil villain has said, "I'm just gonna eliminate half the universe, and then I'm just gonna go and watch the sun sunset." And I was just like. So at the end, he just watches the sunset. <laughs> all the heroes are gone, and he watches this. i like, okay, all right. But then, I particularly liked how they just they didn't just die; <laughs> they they vanished. You know that really tickled me. If no graven images before the Lord thy God, you know that was really sweet. That really touched my heart. See the, the heroes vanish. Oh. We don't need another hero. <laughs> we just need to know our way home. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's, that was beautiful. And that's what reminded me of this movie, so that I had to share my joy. This lovely movie tonight. More to life than flesh. Much more. (laughs) That's right, mariachi. There's tuba playing going on as we're here, like in New Orleans celebration. Well, Jen still has the mic Anybody? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <I> <laughs> yeah, you know, this
3: scene with, uh, when um, oh, he stays back and um yeah, so I obviously had emotions about that and, you know, because uh, of my son, you know, and, and then he stays and I thought, what the hell? you know, why is he staying, you know, but, but, you know, I could relate and then, you know, he, when, when they, you know, when end comes it's like the liberation it's a destruction of the dream uh, so it was a liberation for everybody you know and I, I could see myself um, in that role of staying back and then you know doing this now and going to the light this way was my son, you know, just took off. Um, and I remember the night he died, you know, because you were saying something about the wind, and, and that's what happened. I was in my bathtub, and, you know, suddenly all this wind came in, and it was. You know, I was in Switzerland, it was cold, the windows weren't even open, or there was a lot of when they called me. Anyway it just uh, brought all that back but uh you know also a sense of beauty of it all. So again, you know, when I saw the you know this story and that thought and you know the spaceship I mean uh, taking off and yeah there was some healing for me.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's, it's this... Um, there's so many deeply rooted beliefs, but when you were talking, I was thinking of this movie we have in our <coughs> movie watchers' collection, James Garner. It's called The Ultimate Gift. And um, basically, he, at one point, he just breaks down because he just has this overcome with this sadness and grief. And he said, no... Something to the effect of no father should ever have to face the death of his son. In other words, it's there's a belief in the mind that that there's parents and then there's children and then there's grandchildren. The grandparents go first, and then the parents go, and and then and the children had children, and the grandchildren had children, and it goes. There's almost like there's a continuity there and an order, but uh, the young ones are not supposed to die first. You know, I, I could feel that when, in this movie, he just broke down. He was just crying. No, he could hardly speak it in straight words. His voice was trembling. No parent should ever have to face the death of their child. You know, his voice was just cracking. And because it's like a violation of a belief again, like there's, there's some kind of an order, there's supposed to be an order. Like, come on God, that's, that's not right. That is not right. And uh, it's unexpected, and there you were in Switzerland and then to get word of that. And then it's, the order was wrong, you know, sons aren't supposed to die first before their fathers, and then, and sons and fathers are supposed to be together for deathbed scenes and oh, all. There was like, probably a huge sadness of like these things being violations, these like violations. And really, that's at the core of all of our abandonment issues, all of our rejection issues, all of our guilt. I should have been there, you know, you came here right to that, uh, retreat. It was in early February. And that was like huge, uh, lifting where, you know, you, you came to this core belief that I, I killed my son and all the heaviness. And then people even around me witnessed like, what, did you see Frank's face is different? And Frank is completely, some, Frank doesn't look the same after that core, belief of I killed my son got seen and lifted up, then that that was like a huge step, probably more than you can even imagine or estimate how huge that was. And then I think this was, this movie, that, that particular scene was another washing of that feeling of like, of like something was wrong with me being in... Over there in Switzerland and hearing that and and the coldness, you know, like almost like there was something very, very wrong there. And, and like Jason was sharing, so he was just sharing too this idea that that Vern would even have this idea, like I don't understand how there could be a gap there between me and my beloved son. And if you take it all the way back to God, it's like that's what Humans are saying, you know, I don't understand this gap between God and, and myself. It's, it's not understandable. Uh, there's that song I like to play all the time that, come on people now, smile on your brother, everybody get together, try to love one another right now, but in that song, there's a line it says, when the one who left us here, returns for us at last. Even that line, when the one who left us here, there's something underneath it. <laughs> How could you leave me here? <laughs> of anywhere, you know, there's there's a projection onto to God and uh, and um, the idea that God left Adam and Eve, you know, to suffer when they disobeyed, you know. It's we have to be open to having that whole story turned around and start to re- realizing no, God didn't leave. God didn't leave us here. God didn't leave. Period. That that there's a belief that I have left God that has to be given up. That's what has to happen, but. But the projection has been on God messed up or Why did you abandon me? You know all of our abandonment issues that we have in all of our relationships Whether it's with a father son or a spouse or a wife or husband or whatever or the children all those abandonment issues are projection of that belief in abandonment in the mind which is what the ego is so as long as we believe in the ego we'll have Abandonment issues will replay over and over and over in time. Rejection issues, coulda, woulda, shoulda, oh It would have been so much better If if my son was going to die, at least he could die in my arms That would have been a loving father. A loving father would have had those arms wrapped around him. Them showing that love. We we always have the coulda, woulda, should We the ego will bend and twist things to make us feel guilty, like something was terribly wrong, something went terribly wrong, and it's always going to try to bake to it that way in our mind for us to feel guilty, so we won't shine our light, so, so we won't be the light of the world, it's just trying to do everything it can to keep us guilty. And that's really the value of relationships and that's the value of watching movies like we watch tonight because we get to that point where something, it hits a chord. It's something like, okay, something's still there because we feel our hearts sink, like I did when I went to visit my grandfather and progressively visit, visit the hospital and then all of a sudden, oh, there it goes, my heart is sinking, my heart is breaking and It needed to break. it. There's a lot of things that need to crack open for the healing to happen. But it's beautiful that you
3: can be in touch with that. It was, uh, you know, interesting. The the guilt. You know, yesterday, I'm gonna cry again. One of my favorite horses died, and um, you know, immediately there was the guilt, and it was another horse that you know there was a thing and you know it happens we have a lot and they they all live free and but the first thing was you know why wasn't I there to stop it it's not I mean there's nothing I could have you know and my daughter called me she said the same I feel so responsible you know it's the second horse now in two months and Hmm. so you know it's the guilt but it's so crazy that you know it just went right there and so there was you know a lot of my son it all came it, yeah huge emotion it was huge and so i we were we yesterday with laverne you know, and you know i was able to expose all day you know mm-hmm. there was so much that came up rage even you know uh, everything rage against my son actually mm-hmm. yeah
0: Yeah, there's that movie that Robin Williams did called What Dreams May Come, a very famous one, where uh, where he dies in a tunnel in a, a co- car collision thing, and then um, you know he meets his guide and he's got to go through all these healings, you know, even after he's passed away, and, and comes back and he's got to go face these things. But his wife, played by Anne. Annabella course the, the Italian actress corsese mm-hmm. she and she goes into deep depression in that movie and anger how could you leave me and with a, and our children and and <laughs> huge sadness like our whole life that we were gonna have together and now you've gone and all this and then she goes and to be suicidal and then that's part of his lesson you know he, he has to get a tracker and go and try to find her she's in this hellish dark experience and the tracker is warning him don't just don't lose yourself you know that's that would be the false empathy where you feel so hurt and you feel so much that you you need to help somebody else or fix somebody else or rescue somebody else or whatever in this case the the horse or or the could have been different with my son or could have you know all those things it's the same thing they're all very subtle projections from the mind as if something in time and space could have been different it's the old could have would have should have trip, guilt trip of the ego you know it's not right things are not right things could have been different and they can't the script is written and we're just beholding this script that was spun out in the unholy instant, and we really don't have any control over. it. We just have control over our state of mind. We can choose to forgive, or we can choose to hang on to the grievance. And that's, that's it. That's, our, that's the extent of our choice. But uh, it was a, that was a really good, good movie. I think that's one in our collection. I think too. I remember getting the DVD, and they had like alternative endings. So we watched like two different alternative endings. Which ending do you like? When <laughs> he re- reunites with her, the wife and the kids, and you know, but but it's in the end, it's not about even coming up with alternative endings, or or rearranging perception to have a different outcome. It's it's about coming to that place of humbleness, like, oh my gosh, I've, I've been very mistaken, and I've been seeing, I've been hallucinating, actually, <laughs> and trying to see meaning where there is no meaning, and
3: so it's it's like a core feeling. Yeah. yeah, it was interesting in the movie how he goes front, and you know, what are you running? There's nothing you can do about this, you know? Yeah. And he's like, on this, so that's kind of what I do. Yeah. He grabbed his gun and he yeah, yeah, really just. <laughs>
0: first, he grabbed a baseball bat. <laughs> He's like, and he bashes his tree, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like so, like you're gonna get this. This is what you're gonna get too, He, bashed, he just goes running through the woods with a bat and a, a flashlight and a bat, and then he goes running with a gun and holding the gun, you know, like and but that's just you know the, the ego is just frantic frantic with emotion and like ready to explode and it's all got to come up so yeah it's good yeah Yeah, i'm glad you could talk about that that
3: was a good movie (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah.
0: thank you frank